Monday, July 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool 1, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Maker. Happy Monday, guys. Happy, Happy Monday. Monday. Uh, earnings Palooza will continue. We'll talk McDonald's, we'll talk Hasbro, and we've got a coffee company that is going private. Uh, but we're going to start with the market writ large. And if you were feeling nervous today, you probably weren't alone. The volatility index, the VIX, which indicates implied volatility in the markets, was up 25% today, the biggest one-day jump since November 9th. Joe, I'll start with you. How much of this is a reaction to Spain and what's going on in Europe? And how much of this is just sort of uh, fear itself? I mean, because the, the, that's, yeah. that's, yeah, I mean, it's the VIX, it's the volatility index, but some people refer to it as the fear index. Yeah, well, there's a good reason it's called the fear index. It spikes alongside fear. If you go back and look at the VIX over time, it's been lowest at the points where the market's been consistently going up, and the opposite has been the case when it's been choppy and ugly. You know, I personally use a high VIX as a sign that it's a time that you should start looking for buys. You shouldn't run out and buy something just because of any one measure, but the high, the VIX basically correlates with volatility, or it is a measure of volatility, and the more volatility there is, the more you're going to have stocks likely to be mispriced, and you're going to see people walking away from the table just because they're almost irrationally fearful. And if you're a long-term investor, that's usually a great time to be stepping in and looking for bargains. I was going to say, it sounds like, Jason, that you know, this is the, the higher the VIX, the higher the probability for overreactions. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Joe completely. I, I tend to look at the VIX when it's when it's indicating high volatility and and high fear is the perfect time to be out there looking for. Uh, undervalued stocks. I mean, that's when you need to be out there buying. I mean, fear basically means people are selling and running for the exits. And uh, for us, as net net uh, net buyers of stocks in the long term, as, as I think we all are, uh, higher VIX means better buying opportunities. All right. Well, so let's let's name some names. What's uh, what's a stock or two that that uh, people should look at in terms of if you're a long term <laughs> investor. And things are volatile. You know, should you automatically think defensively? Should you automatically look for for dividend payers? What? Give me a name, Joe. I'll go in the opposite direction. Okay. I see a lot of volatility and seen a lot of people pulling back on the number of trades they're making. One of my favorite stocks is TD Ameritrade. It's one of the biggest brokers that I'm sure everyone who listens to the show is familiar with. Volatility has really hurt the amount of activity at the retail level. So just individual people have gotten frustrated. They've walked away. They're not thinking about stocks. And you shouldn't be yada yada day trading. We're not about day trading <laughs> at the pool. Uh, you should be a long-term investor. But what we've seen at TD Ameritrade is that trading among retail investors now is approaching multi-year lows. So that's hurting their commission revenue. They also make money on funds that they temporarily hold for clients in money market accounts. So the higher interest rates are, the more money they make on that. Well, interest rates are near lows. Trading volume is near lows. And it's selling about 14 times those depressed earnings. Honestly, I think normalized earnings are more than double what they are today. So I think it's a, a very healthy five-year buy. You know, In the short term, everyone's worried about low rates and low rates staying low. Well, you know, 
slow trading activity. But if you're patient, I think it'll come around really nicely. Jason, you were saying before we started taping, you don't really look at the VIX um, when you're doing your research. Um, I'm sure uh, I, I'm certainly in that camp. I don't look at it ever, really. Um, <laughs> except for today. Except for today. Um, and I, I'm sure most people don't. But just to, to bring it home to people, what's going on in the market today, if, if you're not looking at the VIX, um, every stock in the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down this morning. So, yep. I mean, you know, in terms of what it means, what volatility can mean, uh, that's what it means in very real terms. What's what's a stock uh, for choppy times like these? Yeah, so I won't go necessarily with the Dow stock here, but there's a stock that I do like a lot called Ecolab. And Ecolab's a company that focuses on uh, developing and selling products to uh, the hospitality and food service industries, healthcare, industrial markets. And they sell everything from like the, the cleaning equipment and supplies to pest elimination services and other maintenance repair services. So think about you know big restaurant franchises like McDonald's. Uh, think I prefer about not to think about pest elimination at McDonald's. <laughs> think about schools, think about prisons. And uh, Ecolab, what they do is they get their machinery, their equipment in these facilities, and then just continually sell all of the consumable, uh, whether they're sanitizing products or pest elimination products or what have you. Yep. So they just continue to sell those consumables on and on and on. And so you know, regardless of whether employment is high or low, it's not like the McDonald's are closing. It's not like the governments are closing necessarily, so they still need these products. And so Ecolab has done a really good job of, of building themselves into really the market leader in, in an otherwise fragmented industry. And, uh, you know, it's one that I purchased from my real money portfolio here about a year ago. It's outperformed the market nicely. Uh, by about 13 or 14 percent to date. And so I think that when you see uh, overreactions in the market like today, while Ecolab isn't one that tends to move much one way or the other, it's a good opportunity to pick it up when it's being sold off on a day like today. Yeah. And I'll just add, kind of in a broader context, the thing to remember is that when everyone is talking about great stocks to buy defensively because the market is volatile, that's actually when you want to be aggressive and going out buying stocks that will do well in a recovery instead of battening down the hatches. Speaking of McDonald's, McDonald's second quarter profit came in lower than expected, shares down 3% this morning. And Joe, uh, it appears that same-store sales, which is a key metric, obviously, for uh, businesses like McDonald's, same-store sales in the U.S. uh, appear to be slowing down. Surprise! (laughs) Yeah, well, a bigger thing with McDonald's is that they actually get more revenue from Europe than they do in the U.S. I don't think that's something most... Americans realize, unless they've watched Pulp Fiction, uh, which not of enough of us have. But anyway, McDonald's has been killing it, and comps were actually pretty decent, and they were ahead of what a lot of analysts had estimated. But McDonald's is kind of a victim of its own success, where they've continually beaten a lot like Apple has, where people now just expect these blowout results every time. I mean, in relative terms for McDonald's, and I think you're going to see Europe continue to struggle. I don't know that there are a lot of good excuses for why they've had a little bit of trouble here in North America and the U.S., but you know, you put that together with what we've seen at Chipotle, and I'd say McDonald's and Chipotle, along with Starbucks, have probably been the three best you know, restaurant-centric concepts in the U.S. over the past couple of years in terms of comps and execution, and you're seeing a lot of slowdown there, and not surprisingly, <laughs> Starbucks is off a decent bit today, probably in anticipation of that. Uh, I was going to say, we, we talked about uh, Chipotle uh, last week on Motley Fool Money, and one of the things that came up was that was a stock that was um, too big for its prices. <laughs> well, uh, you know the, the the phrase that comes up from time to time is when stocks are priced to perfection. It seemed like Chipotle was was probably in that realm, and because it delivered results that were very good but not perfect, the stock got whacked. Um, when you look at McDonald's, 
in terms of the valuation of the stock. Is it in that same realm? Uh, no, or it, it's much cheaper. I think you could buy McDonald's for about half the relative valuation of Chipotle today. So I would definitely take McDonald's, but between the two, it's got a concept that's proven durable, they're global, very consistent. Jason, when you look at companies like these, um, it, it seems like, in some ways, a, a business like McDonald's, uh, if they're certainly not rooting for a distressed economy, <laughs> it seems like they do okay in a distressed economy, which leads me to wonder, what's the biggest challenge a company like that faces? Is it, is it commodity costs rather than the overall economy, or, is it, or am I misreading that? No, I think you're, you're on to something there. I mean, commodity costs, input costs for these, for these companies, these restaurants, are always going to be a concern. And I think they're going to be more of a concern for the higher uh, margin, higher quality uh, style of businesses like a Chipotle or even a Panera or a Starbucks, for that matter, whereas McDonald's trying to be a low-cost provider. Obviously, a much more mature company has, has the scale to deal with it a little bit more appropriately. And uh, uh, you know, I mean, just to put it into context, I mean, I remember reading in the Chipotle call last week when they announced, you know, an analyst asked in regard to commodity prices, when were they going to be passing through price increases to uh, get their comps back up to, to par? And, and management was very clear in saying, look, we're not going to be passing price increases along just for a short-term fix to our comps, to boost our comps to satisfy you all, which indicated to me they have a very long-term vision of the, of the business. And so, yeah, it was very optimistically priced. It was about almost twice the multiple of something like a Panera or a Starbucks, uh, which I think told us all that it was maybe a little bit ahead of itself. Yeah. Uh, McDonald's, I think, the biggest challenge may be a victim of their own success, like you'd mentioned. I mean, a lot of times they just have tougher and tougher hurdles to clear year in and year out. And so, these occasionally, uh, these, these misses occasionally happen. And, and if, you, if you're a believer in the business itself, then you have to look at these as potential opportunities to, to get shares. Joe? Yeah. Everybody points to commodity costs as being a, the biggest risk with restaurant companies. In the short term, that's true. In the longer term, it's just staying fresh and relevant. So, McDonald's has done an amazing job of revitalizing itself. fresh. <laughs> well, no, I'd say... If you look I at, kid, I kid. Yeah, I mean, I don't go there, but when if I did, uh, their menu has really been refreshed. Like, you go in there, and it's not the old, crappy hamburger option that it used to be. They still have that, but now they have a lot of other stuff, too. A lot of healthier options or slightly you know, better, higher-quality options, and that's helped them bring in a lot of people. Well, that's great, but now everyone is just copying that concept, and it's just really hard to stay ahead of the game in restaurants. Yeah. Hasbro's second quarter profit fell 25%, uh, but Jason, apparently Wall Street was expecting worse because <laughs> shares of the toy maker were up more than 4% this morning. What did you make of the quarter? Well, I think that analysts, uh, I think Wall Street in general is happier about what Hasbro had to say about the rest of the year and that they reaffirmed the guidance for the rest of the year and see sales uh, continuing to pick up as the third and fourth quarters come along. Um, but surprise, I mean, that's what all toy companies do. If you look at any of their charts, I mean, they just continually go up first, second, third, fourth quarter up until the holiday season. Uh, all in all, it wasn't a bad quarter. Sales are down. Operating income was up a little bit, which means they've been focusing a little bit more on controlling the cost structure of the business. Uh, they also trimmed the workforce down uh, a little bit less than a year ago as well, so we have to remember that. So they are streamlining the business and focusing on a, a difficult uh, a difficult market, both home and abroad, because because here, really, we're in a fairly saturated toy market where Hasbro and Mattel pretty much own the business, and you're not going to see too much 
uh, shifting one way or another. Overseas, it's been a little bit of a tougher market for them, especially in Europe. And I was mm-hmm. interested to see that because Mattel made point last last week that they uh, saw strength in Europe over the quarter. So I took note of that. Uh, for me, though, really what Hasbro's biggest concern, the biggest concern I have with Hasbro is, is more along their entertainment uh, line. And from the movies that they're offering to, to the, the hub TV channel network that they run, I, I, I'm still very skeptical of the hub to begin with, and I, I just have zippy interest in going to see something like Monopoly the movie or Ouija. The, Ouija know. board. Yeah, yeah so it, I'm, I'm just very, very skeptical of, of their entertainment division still at this point. Um, Jumanji was a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Battleship, not, not Battleship. such a, a great oh, no, movie. That was another dud. Um, w- I've got three kids in my house, and I uh, and they're and they're mine. They're not just random kids who just <laughs> you know have holed up there. But um, and and I I don't think I've ever seen the Hub Channel on my television. Where is it? What is it? So it's, it's no it's no surprise to me that I'll, they're struggling with the Hub Network because I got kids in my house and I've never even seen it. It's a very fair point, and I mean to be to be clear here, our our TV is is I think permanently set on the Disney Channel, and I couldn't tell you what the Hub Channel is on our uh, on our Fios network at home. The only time I ever got to see the Hub was when we were out of town and the the TV where we were, the, the satellite provider, had it. And it was really just a long day full of old Transformer cartoons and My <laughs> Little Pony uh, cartoons. So, for, and, and even wow. my kids, I have seven and six year old girls, and they saw this for like an hour. They were like, "Dad, where's where's the Disney Channel?" <laughs> so they were cooked on it in like an hour. Can we do so, homework instead of watching this? And it, it really, to me, it's it's thus far has been extremely disappointing. And the Hub is this. It's this. Uh, it's a channel that that they're working on with Discovery Networks. Okay. I don't think they've done a very good job in pulling it off. And really, they are going up against a monster in in Disney. There's just no question there. Uh, and and actually, the Hub ding earnings this quarter versus a small gain last year as they continue to build this network out. I'm not concerned. I'm not I'm not very uh, positive. I'm not positive that it's going to be a very successful network over the long term. And it wouldn't shock me at all uh, at some point to see them, um, you know, wrap it up and close it down. I'm not saying they will, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, one of the other things uh, Brian Goldner, the CEO, talked about was the games division and how that was a division that yeah, to use his word, he said, we need to stabilize that division and look to grow it in the next year. Mm. Um, what's, what's, a, what's a thing to watch uh, over the next six to 12 months with this company? Is it how they do with games? Is it just sort of going back to their bread and butter? I think games definitely are somewhere to keep an eye because we know that these companies are going digital. They're having to sort of take these games to the next level. Those kids have iPads and Kindles and all sorts of different devices. It was, it was neat to see that Hasbro has formed an agreement with Zynga uh, to release a few new games here coming up over the uh, toward the end of the year. I think one of them had to do with Farmville or Cityville or something like that. Uh, so that's definitely a point of interest, and, and they're going to need to be successful at it to really be able to bring that game section back up. Joe? Yeah, I don't know that I'd say Hasbro's going digital so much as the world is going digital and they're racing to catch up. Now, when you... Well said. Yeah. yeah, when you look at their numbers, you know they've been growing in the low single digits for a while now. Stocks sell on about thirteen times earnings. I, I can't say I'm all that excited about it when you think about the headwinds they've got with people switching towards playing games online. And while they do have a lot of great franchises that can be extended digitally, you know it's not their bread and butter. And I think they're just going to be kind of a perpetual heartbreaker. And I think we've talked about this before too. This is a much different uh, situation now than it was. 20 or even 30 years ago where we maybe spent a Saturday evening playing Monopoly at the, you know, coffee table at home. 
the power of substitutes today is such that, I mean, there, there are a million different things out there for people right. to do, for kids to do. And it's not just a toy company. We have to really look at them as an entertainment company. When you look at it from that perspective, think about how many options are, that are out there today vying for your entertainment dollars. And, and that'll give you an idea of where you know, Hasbro and, and companies like Mattel really stand. Shares of Pete's Coffee and Tea up nearly 30% this morning. That's because the company is being taken private by, and honestly, I can't pronounce the first name. It's like, uh, <laughs> anyway, by, by, let's just call it the Ben Kieser Group, uh, a German conglomerate uh, buying Pete's for nearly a billion dollars. Pete's was actually rumored to be in talks with Starbucks last spring, but obviously that didn't uh, play out. Um, what does this story say to you guys? Is this is this really a sign that um, that the coffee industry is just uh, getting tougher to compete with, uh, or rather to compete in? If you're a public company, um, or is this just uh, really just a story of this one individual company? What do you think, Jason? I don't know that. I think that you know we had talked about this earlier before, and so Pete's is obviously a much smaller company than something like a Starbucks, right. and I don't know that. I'd have to believe they were very skeptical themselves of being able to build any kind of a store model out there to compete with Starbucks at, in, in any level. Uh, I so, never underestimate management's <laughs> ability to delude themselves. <laughs> Be that as it may, I do think that – is it Rensick – Rensick – Well, uh, Reckett Benkieser is, uh, is a German uh, conglomerate, uh, which I think is a division of this holding company with the first name that I can't pronounce. The acquirer in question <laughs> – Actually, I think is, is for Pete's. It's it's an attractive opportunity for them because they're going to get into a a, a proven distribution model in the consumer packaged goods uh, area, and I think that's really where Pete's needs to focus. They're they're not going to be able to compete with Starbucks on any kind of a, a store level whatsoever. And so, I don't know that it really has anything to do with being a public company. And as a matter of fact, the people with Pete's, I would think look at this maybe as a positive in that they don't necessarily have to deal with all of the SEC mumbo-jumbo that comes yep. with being a public company. And uh, now they can focus a little bit more on getting down to business. I think the offer here was about a 30% uh, premium to what the stock was trading at before. So it's not necessarily a bad deal for really anyone. anyone. And I think that uh, you know it gives them a chance to continue shining as just the small uh, top-of-the-line coffee producer that they are. Joe? Yeah, I think this deal makes sense. I mean, Reckitt, which is a British company, has a pretty good track record of being kind of like a something like a second-class P&G, and it's not a name that we're as familiar with here in the U.S., but they have a lot of international brands that have a lot of cachet. I saw a great presentation on them um, when I was in Omaha, where someone actually thinks they'll be a P&G takeout candidate at some point because they're great operators with good brands. And I think that was probably the story here was just, let's buy a property that doesn't have a high price tag and pump it into this big distribution network we've got and expertise. Um, let's just close on, say, a company that should be going private, um, whether they mm. need to or whether you guys think that they would just perform better as a private company, to your point, Jason, not having to deal with the SEC. Um, what's a company that, that really should uh, think about being a private company, Joe? I'm not sure about going private, but Research in Motion should be selling itself right now. Uh, they have a lot of good IP, and they still have a really strong balance sheet, but sales are absolutely falling off a cliff. There's no reason for them to, to stay public at this point. They're just destroying value. And there is value there, but the longer they stay public, the more they're just washing it away. Jason? Yeah, these guys aren't public yet, but apparently they're getting ready to go public, and I'm begging Manchester United, don't go public. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, your efforts to go public failed in the UK and Hong Kong and Singapore, and now you're trying us here in the US. And I just don't see really this being an attractive proposition for shareholders whatsoever. And what's worse is that this company is actually going to fall under the the purview of the uh, emerging growth company status, which is essentially going to exempt them from certain accounting disclosures here over the course of the next five years. So, What could possibly go wrong? Nothing. I tell you what. What could make it even tougher is that you're investing in this company, which is essentially held by the Glazer family, and the Glazer family is going to hold all the power here. So uh, I'm, I am begging you, Manchester United, don't go public. And if you are considering buying those shares, I would really think twice about it. Yeah, similar dynamic to MSG, Madison Square Garden, which is still controlled by... The Dolan family. The Dolans, who really have done an awesome job. <laughs> if, um, if you look at how the New York Knicks have been managed over the last decade, I think that probably gives you a good indication. This would be yeah. the MSG of soccer. <laughs> football, excuse me. Jason Moser, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and a lot of people may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fluid. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.